Mano a Mano is a retrospective movie show for adults only, educational, satirical, transgressive. It's just entertainment. We'll not out to offend, but at the end of the day, Frank Zappa said it best. You either get it or you don't. Roll the tape. Welcome to Mano Amano, where men can be men. My name is Jonathan Astro. With me, as always, is Ricky Allpike and Yuri. How are we, gentlemen? Good, Good thanks. You said it at the same time. Is that... Are you guys together, or...? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Good. Well, today it's Magnum Force, 1973, Clint Eastwood. This is our first Clint Eastwood uh, film. It's continuing on, sort of, just with... Uh, we got to him through John Milius. Had either of you seen this movie before? Yeah, I've seen it a few times. N- not as much as the original Dirty Harry, but yeah, I've seen it. Yuri? Uh, I, not not properly. Uh, I, I'd either seen it and not remembered, or I'd just seen little bits. And okay. and I'll um, when it comes up, I'll, I'll let you know the one bit that I always remembered. Okay, all right. Well, I look forward to that. But but in general, what, do we like... what? Are, do you like Dirty Harry movies? Again, I've, I've not. I don't think I've watched them properly in the past. I've seen bits and pieces, so yeah. I, w- I was coming to this uh, pretty, pretty fresh, pretty new. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. I I love Dirty Harry. So I'm do obsessed. I. Yeah, yeah great. I, I've, I've, I'm I'm obsessed with it. Uh, I've followed it all the way. Like like bought them on VHS, bought them on DVD. Now I think I've bought them on. Apple, so I've just I'm, I'm a sucker. I'm a yeah. lifelong sucker for Dirty Harry and Clint. You've paid up big for your support. I, I have paid up big. See, but isn't that good though that I wasn't just a piece of shit who just downloaded yeah, yeah. the whole thing? Uh, so uh, I'm, I love it, and uh, I think we'll get into it. I think I think this one is rocketing up my my estimations. Um, I think they're all they've all got something except for that last one. There's one the Deadpool, which is the last one, which is very strange uh, when he's quite old. Oh, yes. is that is that with Ryan Reynolds? Uh, well, that, that movie was <laughs> awesome. Different one, and how dare you bring up comic book movies? Eastwood is back in full force as Dirty Harry and Magnum Force. Jimmy Riley, big time racketeer. Lou Guzman, narcotics king. J.J. Wilson, well-known pimp. There are killers on the loose, dressed like cops, and they always use a magnum. You and your partner are back on homicide. It's a little dramatic, isn't it, Briggs? Not your usual style. It's meant to be, Callahan. Look, this thing might be bigger than even we think it is. This is the cream in the bottle, Callahan. Someone's trying to put the courts out of business. Look, you work with Briggs on this, Callahan. Call him Dirty Harry and he likes to do things his way. He's always around where the action is. In 24 hours, Harry manages to cover a stakeout, to stop a robbery, and to be a good neighbor. Hi. Oh, hi. You're the cop who lives upstairs. That's right. 
killers that look like cops are after Harry because he knows too much. trouble they always call in Harry because they know he'll do the job. It's all in a day's work for Inspector Harry Callahan. All right, so to remind you of what happens in Magnum Forces, the second Dirty Harry film, uh, San Francisco is in the midst of a crime wave and we watch as a guilty mobster, Carmine Rica, walks free from the local courthouse to the outrage of the local citizens. Carmine and his sleazy lawyer have their limousine pulled over by a motorcycle cop and not wanting to go, go back to jail, Carmine's thugs play along with the cops, you know, rather silly sort of stickler questions suddenly the traffic cop blows away everyone in the car that's the lawyer carmine and his two two henchmen firing at, uh, in their into their faces at point blank range he calmly returns to his bike and takes off now we pick up with our hero harry, harry callahan played by clint eastwood he rolls up with his new partner to check out the grizzly scene uh, he's currently parked on stakeout duty, presumably for being too heavy-handed with his 44 Magnum. It's clear that he has, te- has a terrible relationship with his superior, Lieutenant Briggs, played by Hal Holbrook, uh, who is determined to keep uh, Harry on the sidelines. Harry pops down to the firing range at an off-peak time uh, and finds four rookie motorcycle cops, Sweet, Davis, Red and Grimes. He's not impressed by the intrusion at first, but is pleasantly surprised to find out that they are spectacular marksmen. And I think it's safe to assume that the four young cops are all Vietnam veterans, uh, probably from the US Special Forces or something like that. Shortly after, we see uh, an unknown motorcycle cop head to the hills uh, above San Francisco and shoot up a pool party, presumably for for another high-profile gangster having some sort of celebration. So Harry is still benched on on stakeout duty, uh, but he manages to foil a robbery that's going on, uh, but he's definitely been kept out of the uh, out of the investigation into these executions that we've been uh, seeing going on, uh, including a a new one, a, a cold-blooded shooting of a deranged pimp. Uh, Harry does his own investigation and surmises that the killer is most likely a traffic cop and earmarks an old suicidal colleague uh, as the culprit. Charlie McCoy. So the murders don't stop though, and we watch as the motorcycle cop sneaks into the hideout of a drug kingpin, Lou Guzman, and kills him using a silencer uh, along with a couple of hippie kinks and at least one henchman. As the killer cop escapes, he encounters fellow cop Charlie McCoy, who we just mentioned. That's who Harry thinks has pulled this whole thing off. Harry's old colleague, uh, and after a pregnant pause between him and this motorcycle cop, poor old Charlie is also gunned down. So Harry presents his theory to Lieutenant Briggs that they should be looking for a killer motorcycle cop. He puts forward Charlie McCoy as his number one subject, uh, uh, suspect, sorry, but, but Briggs informs him that Charlie uh, was just killed in the recent shootout. One of the detectives at the scene uh, tells Harry about something odd that's been bugging him about the massacre, that this, that this one hotshot rookie, Davis, who, who was part of those marksman rookies, was first on the scene. So Harry gets hold of one of Davis's slugs and has it checked against the bullets from the Kingpin murder, and he's convinced they've got the ge- a genuine death squad of cops on their hands. Lieutenant Briggs shuts down uh, uh, the the this investigation and tells Harry to lead the charge into arresting who he thinks is the main subject suspect, uh, a rival mobster called Palancio. <laughs> it's going to be going to be hairy now. Harry goes to arrest Palancio along with two of the uh, our marksman rookies, Sweet and Davis. 
uh, and someone has called ahead and tips off the mobster and all hell breaks loose. Sweet is killed, one of the cops, and so is the entire Palancio gang, after which uh, Briggs suspends Harry from duty. Finally, Davis, Red and Grimes, the remaining uh, rookies, uh, the motorcycle cops, uh, reveal themselves to Harry as the death squad and they offer him an ultimatum, join or face the consequences. Harry refuses. Now, uh, shortly after, he discovers a, a bomb in his mailbox, foiling an attempt on his life, uh, but his partner is not so lucky and he's blown to smithereens. Harry presents the bomb to Briggs and Lieutenant re- the lieutenant reveals himself as being the head of the death squad. He takes Harry to a secluded location to have him killed, but Harry turns the tables. Harry manages to pick off the rookie cops one by one. Lieutenant Briggs reappears with a gun uh, at the end, trained on Harry, and tells him that he's going to have him arrested for the murder of the cops. He drives away, believing he's won. Uh, not knowing that Harry's armed a bomb from earlier and hidden it in the car, uh, Briggs is blown the fuck up. Uh, and that is the end of the movie. Surprisingly, a lot happens. Yes. I, yeah. I thought it was going to be a simpler plot. So did I, yeah. I, I, I had no recollection of, of the plot, really. So uh, that's that's what happened. Did, 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 again, did, 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 did this marry with what you watched? Or did, did you, sometimes we watch these movies and you go, is that what happened? <laughs> That pretty much is what happened. Yeah, yeah, no, I think so. Um, but going into this, I'd just vaguely knew about Dirty Harry, his gun, you know, calling people punk and blowing them away. <laughs> All the essentials. And then, because uh, I wanted to, I wasn't sure where this one, what number it was in the Dirty Harry series. So I read a quick synopsis uh, of it, and all it said was. Uh, investigates a team of uh, vigilante cops and then as soon as he got to that shooting range I'm like oh it's those guys which which kind of let me down a little bit but then didn't see Briggs at all that one got really me. yeah yes that got me too that got me too no way I saw that one coming well yes. I have the burden of knowledge because Hal Holbrook is the ultimate bad guy like just I mean this was early mm, ish in his run he's played, played a lot of bad guys since but because of I've seen him be either the you know just sort of the shady guy or the scumbag guy at your company or whatever the, he's always involved there is, so. is that supposed to be a secret though that that when we meet these rookie cops at the at the shooting range that are we supposed to not know? We're not not supposed to suspect. Go by what you're told. Okay, so we the the ident- the exact identity of of the cops is is hidden from us, and they are artfully filmed. In, in and they're also somewhat when they've got their get up on the the glasses and the helmets, they are somewhat concealed, and they all sort of look the same in a weird way. Even though when they've got their their helmets off, they don't. Uh, so for, I, I have this question we only ever see one at a time them pulling these things off so I wondered if it, what was meant to be a surprise because you sort of yeah I think you're meant to know but not know and then sort of question no is it is it not is it and then well, you know you know it's either a cop or someone dressed as a cop right because you see yes. it from the beginning but 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 the fact that I mean, there's four of them, and only one of them technically tells us that, that he was in special forces. We assume the other ones are, uh, but we only ever see one at a time pulling off these murders. So you could maybe say, "Is is it one of those guys?" Yeah. But you would you would you immediately think that it's all of them? I mean, you kind of would, I think, because they because they're so close. They're such a unit together. Yes, they're always they together. Are. They're hanging out, shooting targets together.
You boys rookies? Yes, sir. Traffic. I'm John Davis. This is Phil Sweet. That's Red Astrachan. Mike Grimes. You're Inspector Harry Callahan, aren't you? That's right. What are you doing here at this hour? Don't you have regular times for this? Well, you shouldn't be on the street these days if you can't shoot well. Killers don't make allowances. You're in big trouble. Can't fault you there. So are you shooting in the combat championship next week? I always do. You win every year, don't you? Some sort of an institution around here. Yes, sir. We've heard all about you. About the only time I get this place alone. We'll leave if you'd like the range to yourself. No, that's all right. When they first rocked up, everyone thought they were queer for each other. That's that's what you mean, as um, yes, yeah. Callahan's partner says, <laughs> and, and he means queer in the in the in in the old parlance as well. I, I just need to put a note there for locker room talk. There, that slips that <laughs> slipped by me. Really? I was too busy marking. I was too busy marking around with other stuff. <laughs> One of my favorite lines is Harry's response to that, which is uh, where have I got it written now? If the rest of you could shoot like that, I wouldn't care if the whole damn department was queer. And it was right. as uh, uh, Callahan and his partner are walking into a building and there's this cop extra walking out at the same time. And it's uh, an instance of brilliant extra acting because that cop overhears that line and then yes. he's like shocked and stops and turns and look at the, looks at them. And it, we, we kind of hold on that shot for a while, even after the two main characters yeah. have cleared. It was because like, that's great. everyone in the audience in this in, is, go, is clapping and screaming, saying, ha, 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 yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> fucking queers. Yeah. Yes. That's what they, that, they leave a pause there, you know, yeah. so that can happen. But because I, I didn't, you know, as I said, I was too busy. I found these great documentaries. Uh, with all these little clips that I want to... Just a, a couple of clips I want to play for you, but this is how... I think this is a nice connection with uh, our last show, so listen to this one. I think that Dirty Harry was a very violent movie, but it was a cool character, and I think the reason why people admired the character so much was because he was not operating within a framework of the law, as so to speak, but he was stepping kind of out and taking things a little bit into his own hands. And I think that's what people admire a lot of times. They like to see movies and idolize people that can do that because they themselves, people in general in America and worldwide, feel powerless. So they always didn't see a guy, they always didn't take the blow into his own hands and takes care of the job in a very cool way. Not in a traditional way, you know, hold up your arms, you are under arrest. No, he was eating a hamburger. He was eating a hamburger. He just happened to get a glimpse of some crime that is being committed out there. But it was like, not like making a call and get the authority and getting another police car and all this. No, he just went out there eating his hamburger <laughs> and blasting the criminal away. I've, I've heard that before. It's funny because, because he's not eating a hamburger, he's eating a hot dog. Shut up, Arnie. <laughs> no, 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 no. Shut that, up. no he, he was when uh, at the airport. Oh, that, that's in Magnum Force. Yeah, but, so he's com conflating. People do conflate everything. Yes, because so he's I talking about the original Dirty Harry. There should be. He is, but but I mean, one of the most famous lines is from the this from the fourth one. He says, "Make my day" in the fourth one. So it's mm. all conflated. With the other ones, does he get more uh, outside the law? Because in this one, his big thing is actually upholding it, and that's why he doesn't join the Death Squad. 
Well, part of the, the the joy of this series is the way they they play with the idea of Dirty Harry, and they do it they do it straight from the sequel. So, yeah. and Milius has talked about this in one of the documentaries. He says, "Look, the pro- big problem with sequels now is that they just do big gags, bigger gags, bigger car chases." He goes, "Whereas they really did try and and." Uh, poke and prod the 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 idea behind dirty harry so what we've got in dirty harry is uh a a the idea the idea of um of justice and and you know versus the law so uh and sometimes you know in order to get justice we need to bend the law or break the law you know it will be heavy-handed and then straight away in the second one they they question it and they say what if there were four cops who were more dirty harry than dirty harry um, and I think that's brilliant. And then in the third one, we have the, that they bring in sexual politics, or rather, the, you know, or gender. They they they, they pair him up because he's a dinosaur, and they pair him up with a female uh, uh, partner, which is wonderful. And and, and actually, uh, uh, the, the the message behind that film is totally against the current narrative as well, because she wants to be treated like everyone else. Whereas now, you know, people would say, "Oh, that's we can't have that." And then the fourth one uh, is is another vigilante. It's a rape revenge movie, a very uh, nasty rape revenge. And the last one, I'm not too sure about the last one. It's a bit weird, but they they do uh, poke and prod this idea, and I think that's why this one is is hands down probably the winner in terms of scripts i think this this script of this one is truly spectacular i i i think that it, it's it really packs a punch well well i think milius uh, he he pitched this idea for the original one and they didn't go for it because there was a similar thing actually happened in uh in brazil i'm not sure if it's around that time or or before it with these death death squad vigilante groups made up of policemen were going around sort of killing organized crime people and but that's what gives that that's what gives this the grunt it it does have this sort of grounding in in i can imagine this same sort of thing going on and you know excuse my ignorance but it's the sort of thing that you hear about in sort of south american countries you hear about it like i think of city of god or elite squad i don't know if you've ever seen elite squad which is a great you've seen elite squad yuri yeah yeah well you um you sent me a link to it way back in the day yes well uh, it's that it's just this sort of vigilante style you know justice but i but i i think this idea of of death squads transposed into uh, san francisco but also giving them you know they've been shaped by the war and and that they've committed violence they've been shaped by the violence and and they say things they say really frightening things they say stuff like all our heroes are dead you know and and the only it's not a question of whether to use violence it's you know that that's that's just what they're going to do and and that's how they're going to achieve achieve their ends i think it's um it's big it's big themes you know and i think it's totally not given enough credit but they and they do actually reference brazilian death squads in the movie oh wow where well, i missed that where's where's this uh i think it's it's when harry first mentions it to his partner hints to him that it could be uh, it could be vigilante cops. I think that's where. It oh, yeah, wow. it's in a conversation. It's like, oh, you mean like they they do mention Brazilian death squads. So then we've left with the idea of, like, we have to reckon with Harry's brand of justice, and it's more nuanced than people think. It's yes, he believes in bending the rules and doing the right thing, even if that means, you know, like not following the the law necessarily 
However, when it comes to straight out murder, it comes out to not giving someone a fighting chance. He's not into that, you know. He thinks that's a dick move. Well, let's let's pan back for a little bit here. In the film's opening week, it grossed uh, almost seven million dollars from four hundred one theaters. Uh, it made a total of uh, $44,680,000 odd, uh, and it, it, making it the most successful uh, of the Dirty Harry films, I think. Um, and it was the sixth highest grossing film in 1973. Uh, also, it made it made a butt ton in theatrical release as well. So it's very, very popular. I have a question. Who is directing this film? Because I've read that Eastwood was... Uh, he was approached to direct and he declined, but then on set he really butted heads with uh, with the director, Ted, uh, Post. Ted Post. And it, 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 it has been suggested that uh, Eastwood and I think the second, uh, second director uh, directed most of this film. I buy that because... This is, you know, we go by the credits generally, but but it's an acceptable uh, hypothesis because it's a Malpaso production, and that is Eastwood's company, and he was he famously recruited from within the ranks, and so you actually see a lot of his the directors of his movies over time come. They start off as second unit or they start off as assistant directors and they actually build up and build up and so you know ted post he's he's, he'd worked with him before um but at the end of the day you know the director of the first one don siegel he is a a a true a-list director like like a a guy who i think clint would definitely uh do the bidding of you know uh, and, and but don you know wasn't on this ted obviously is not is more of a journeyman and, uh, you know, I think that ultimately, yeah, this is very much an Eastwood production. They all are from, from certainly from this one on. And he, he runs the show. So like the Tom Cruise. Yes. Yeah. Well, I've got a quote here. It says, uh, Eastwood refused to authorize two important scenes directed by Post in the film because of time and expense. Uh, one of them was at the climax of the film with a long shot of Eastwood and his motorcycle as he confronts the road cops. Um, so uh, couldn't says, we just not have the Drano scene instead? Yeah, well, we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> it says that Eastwood was intent on shooting as smoothly as possible, often refusing to do retakes over certain scenes. So Post later remarked that a lot of the things uh, he said were based on pure selfish ignorance and showed that he was the man who controlled the power. By magnum force, Clint's ego began applying for statehood. <laughs> Post remained bitter with Eastwood for many years and claims disagreements over filming affected his career afterwards. Uh, according to second unit director of photography Rexford Metz, uh, Eastwood would not take the time to perfect a situation. If you've got 70% of a shot worked out, that's sufficient for him because he knows his audience will accept it. True. And and one of the criticisms I, I would accept of Clint, you either love it or you hate it, like it... it He's a very pragmatic director. He doesn't, he, a no-frills guy, doesn't waste film, doesn't waste time. He's, he moves on quickly, obviously. And in the earlier stuff, when he started directing more and everything, you could say it's, it's sometimes it seems sloppy. Or, on the other hand, it seems alive. It seems, you know, like, it's, like things are happening. And it's, you know, sometimes you've got that verite handheld stuff. I'm thinking of a movie he did called Play Misty for Me, which is like the original Fatal Attraction uh, film and um, which he directed his his debut and so I, I buy all of what what's being said there totally yeah um, 
Although for me, he he kind of well, I've been getting bored um, by his movies. Uh, but the last straw for me was a, a shot in Invicta, which was set in the mid '90s, and it was an exterior shot of a, a pretty contained uh, street with uh, mid to late 2000s cars parked on the road. <laughs> the cars, that was too much for you. <laughs> I mean, I was bored out of my brain by that movie, and, and I think it was also... Is, after... that the rug- is that the rugby movie? Yeah, that's the rugby movie. Yeah, I was going to say, what did you think of racism? That's the question. You're I was too bored to care. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember it, thinking that was a boring enough. movie. Yeah, I know, it, wasn't it, it absolutely was. And then he yeah. got to that shot, and I'm like, really, Clint, you couldn't find some 90s cars... We're pretty in late shot. in the game there, though. Like that's he, the man is almost a hundred years old now, and that would have been he would have been eighty odd, surely. Uh, but it also did look like a shot that was that could have been done by the second unit. It was some sort of establisher. I think mm. it was like a jib up a street or something. It was like yes, it was very inconsequential, and it's like oh, mm. come on, man, because yeah, yes. there weren't like fifties cars, and I'm pretty sure they were shooting in in you know South Africa. I'm pretty sure. I mean, could have rustled some up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they probably could have used 70s cars and it would have worked, probably. Which is anything before the time period. That's right, you yeah. Know? yeah. And I- even if they seemed like it, or, or at least even like the, the foreground, the hero cars, and then hide a few in the back, you'd get away with it. But Well, hmm. maybe to defend to Clint, I, I would just say, not in that instance, that sucks, but, but basically... When it when his style works, it really works. Like when when all the boxes are ticked and everyone's doing their job, and yeah, the like because in Unforgiven, there ain't none of that going well, on. Well, yeah, I was going to say, um, un- not uh, not as much Mystic River, but Unforgiven and Million Dollar Baby are like, I fucking love those movies. Great, great movies, amazing. And Ricky, Bridges of Madison County. I know. Yeah, gets great me every film. time. Great film. <laughs> Not, not a film I think we'll ever review on this show. Why not? Why not? Uh, maybe maybe you're a pussy if you don't like Bridges of Madison County. <laughs> well, I, I ain't seen it. So uh, what, are, what are you trying to say there? Oh, I, well, I, I think your wife will enjoy that one. Great film. Yeah. Really good. Anyway, let's get back on brand here. Well, you mentioned Drano. I, I've got I a did. little thing to say yeah, about Drano yeah, here. Yeah. So Fuck Bridges of Madison County. Let's talk about, let's talk about Drano. Hookers getting killed by Drano. <laughs> <laughs> so that that is a weird scene because when I saw it, I was like, "What the fuck is that guy doing to her? What is that that like aerosol can thing he's got?" Like it was really mm. confusing. And then it gets explained at the morgue. But uh, there was some controversy around this film because um, in 1974, it was discovered uh, that the scene where the prostitutes killed with the drain cleaner uh, had inspired the infamous Hi-Fi murders. So the two killers, believing that this method would be as efficient as it was portrayed in the film, uh, they decided to use uh, Drano. And uh, it says that the killers were looking for a unique murder method when they stumbled upon this film. Um, and also, it's uh, it's sort of it, it's it's had a life of its own because the drain cleaner reference was repeated in at least three other films, including Lethal Weapon, uh, Heather's, and Urban Legend. I remember Heather's. One all my life, mm. right? It's dreadful scene. Like, like, yeah. Saw it really young, and I was just like, the chick drinks the drainer, and she just dies and smashes through the coffee table, and you just go, it's dreadful. See, it's all here. All oh. I got. Like you've been holding out on me. No, I've been straight with you since. You know me. Damn right, I know you. Let's see how much more there is in the titty bag. <gasps> mm-hmm. Hello, Mr. Green. 
Mm-hmm. Check out the snatch bank, too. Mm-hmm. Damn right I know you. I must have given it all chances. You didn't give me a chance. Chance? Bitch, you had your chance. That was your last chance. Everybody else in this town threw your black ass I, out. Help me! Well, uh, according to scriptwriter John Milius, uh, the drain cleaner scene was never meant to be filmed, but was only mentioned in the original script. So he wrote it as to be in that morgue scene where where Eastwood talks about it. Look, that scene's bang out of order. Uh, but having said that, there's a lot of horrendous violence in this movie. Like, it, It's a nasty film, don't you think? It is nasty. And so starting from the beginning, the, mo- the mobster at the beginning, he gets killed by the cop. He's like having a seizure in the car like his, his horrible like shaking seizure while he's dying uh, yeah. and and the cops walking away i'm like oh my god like that's uh, that's a that's a hundred percent no no like normally people get shot and fall down like john wick I've, i always mention this every week but if john john wick <laughs> if people got shot and were, were twitching. like having a twitching having seizures on the ground that movie would be banned 100 percent banned like like there's that's too too much way too much like you've got to be dead straight away you know what I mean? You can't be you can't be going through some sort of horrendous. That's the point of Reservoir Dogs. So you get shot in the stomach and you spend the whole movie. Tim Ross spends the whole movie dying, like yeah. you know, and and that's very realistic. Like I see these things where where someone gets stabbed in the stomach and they die instantly. Like we reviewed a Mae West film for Sideboob Cinema recently where that happens, and I've always thought, man, it must take it must take days to die. Well, from on the Robocop commentary, they talk about because uh, Murphy gets really you know shot up by those guys, and and you know I think it might have been the, the screenwriter or or whatever they they spoke to you know ER doctors and that, and they say no 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 we've seen guys yeah who get who get who get shot up like this survive and or, or live for ages and whatever like so it's yeah. a it's it can be. It's not as death is not as simple as all that. But back to the violence. So there's a couple of other horrible things, like the crane arm ripping through the car and like killing the guy in the front seat. That's yes. her, that's a wonderfully phallic death as well. Like you, you, <laughs> you, don't you think like that? Like that is a big steel rod going right into that, you. Like that, that is the patriarchy, right? That there. is the patriarchy. That's saying fuck you, fuck you. <laughs> you know, like that's just you know beyond the pale. But the most horrible one is one that Harry does. I think like I, he gets a cop on the ground and does full karate chops to the neck. Oh yes, yeah, collapsing. Cr- <laughs> Yeah. His larynx yeah. or whatever. constant chopping at his neck. I can know? remember every movie where this kind of death has happened, by the way. Or this, this that sort of death. Like, there's that one similar one in History of Violence with the nose, mm. which is horrendous. But the throat one, this Broken Arrow's got another throat one like this. So, he, he hits a guy in the, the, the larynx and he dies like this. Whenever people do this, it's mm. particularly horrible. And it's just the way he keeps going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, we, when we see him again later, the cop got this horrible rictus on his face like he's, he died a horrible painful death well I, th- I think that's another one where in reality it would have taken a good long while of agony to die from that shit but maybe a little bit quicker if it's affecting his breathing like if he can't breathe yeah but I mean you'd be struggling to breathe you know people can hold their breath for minutes uh, yeah. and I mean you'd get a little bit in there so it'd be like I don't know a good few minutes of um, horrible well, agony way, I think it was horrible. Mm. One, one, one that you didn't mention that really struck me is when the woman falls out of the, <laughs> out of the apartment building from like yes. the twentieth floor or something. Yes, and one of just the, the way kinks. it sort of hits the railing on the way down and yes, yeah, spins like a like a I don't know. It, it just 
it seems realistic. Maybe that's why it's so shocking. Mm. And it's fast. The editing's really good in that scene because she goes and it's like like this quick cuts yeah. of her and then and the this thud. quick cut of her spinning around and you go, oh God. I, I must have kind of missed that particular, like I remember her going out the window, but I don't remember seeing it properly. I might have been writing notes, but does she look a little bit like Propeller Guy from Titanic? Yes, there's a little bit of Propeller Guy yeah. going on. Yeah, totally. This is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world. And it could blow your head clean off. Do you feel lucky? So I like how the film incorporates the famous line, well, do your punk at the beginning, because it's, it's like ambiguous as to whether it's a flashback or a dream or it's actually happening in this film. Uh, Cause he does it obviously in the, in the original Dirty Harry, because you know, if it was made in 2022, he'd be saying that line every time he points a gun at someone and all the 40-year-old man babies in the audience would cheer. Well, because this movie's got its own catchphrase, which is a man's got to know his limitations. Yes. Which I have said to people uh, of an older generation, and they remember it, they love it, and it, it's a real connection line. Yeah. Um, so, again, that's a, it's said three times. It's the final line of the film as well. Yeah. So, it's, it's clearly the line of the movie. Like, again, the sequel now would be... Just you know, like, do you still feel lucky, punk, or something? Like <laughs> yeah. it would be, and they'd make a sure? big moment of it, and there would be like this orchestral version of the original score that comes to this pinnacle, and then it dies down, and then he would say the line, and it would like stay on the gun for more, you know, longer than it should, and then everyone in the audience would would cry and and, and cheer. But I also it also happens over the the main title, which is just sort of this slow push in of the forty four Magnum. I hate this shot because. The person's hand is getting tired. Yes, yeah. like they're, going, they're slowly <laughs> dipping a bit, and then they do this horrible, like t- turning towards the camera, like in a, in a, in a weird angle, because they're clearly a a um, stage hand. Yeah. Like they're not. Like it's clearly a. Uh, well, know, that, so. that that you're dipping into trivia here. That is not Clint's hand, and they decided not to use his hand, even though he wanted to, because they thought his hand looked too feminine. <laughs> That's perfect. That is the best mano a mano <laughs> trivia. Ever. I, I got to stick up. I got to stick up for that stagehand though, because okay. ha, have you held one of those fucking I have, things? I have. I've fired a forty-four Magnum, and it's fucking heavy. I don't think wow. I haven't fired a. F- I don't think I've fired one that big. I've, I've fired a revolver, and it was fucking hard work. So what Yuri's saying is he doesn't have one that big, and you're saying you've had a big one. Uh, I've had a big one. I, I, I haven't. Had just, it. I've never had it that big. You've never had had it that big. You've had smaller ones. I'm just getting it straight. Ricky's had big (laughs) ones. Me, I don't know. I'm I'm in the market for a big one. No, no, no. (laughs) Me me and you have had some small ones together, some 22s. We have had some small ones. Hey, no, I can beat this. I fired an AK in uh, Vietnam. Oh, right. Okay. There you go. So you've you've had the biggest. I've had the biggest one, really, and it's so loose. You go over there, and you don't have to sign nothing. You just like you just hand over some money, and they go, "Okay, go down." And the guy, the the, the guys there, I got to be honest with you, they're all dressed up in military outfits. I don't know whether they're actual cops or they seem like the bad guys in Rambo too, like the guys who are running the place. And they manhandle you. They like push you, and they like hold you like in place. And they they're angry. They hate you. And me and my wife. <laughs> Got these AKs and and they give you a mag and like you just go bang 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 and you're shooting it and like the guys like like hitting you like to get you in position and stuff and I remember it being yeah quite the experience. Is this what you did on your honeymoon? 
It was a big trip. I don't know whether it was the honeymoon. Well, it was the honeymoon actually. Yeah, we did. We did. We did. Uh, it was. It was. It was quite fun. But well, um, well for for the benefit <laughs> of our American listeners, I'm sure they would hate this. But when you go to a, a shooting range here in Australia, all the guns are tethered so that you cannot turn them around either on yourself or you know to to face it within the shooting range. Actually, not not the one I went to. Uh, oh really? And it wasn't in a. It was up in Broome. Oh yes, and uh, the 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 kind of stalls. It was just like like a fly screen mesh between the stalls, and there was one point where I wish they were tethered because one of the idiot backpackers just fully turned around with the gun and pointed it at everyone, you know, next Loose. to her while it was loaded. I mean, it was only a twenty-two, so scary stuff. Though. Still, you just can't, and you yeah. know, the instructor had to go fuck what and like grab her hand quickly and go keep it pointed down range. Never don't you know. But anyway, back to back to the motherfucker holding the magnum at the at the opening credits. <laughs> <laughs> that is a long time to be holding a gun of that weight and uh, well, yes. not shake uncontrollably. I think so. Did, uh, could they not find a replica that was a bit lighter though? I mean, they might have, but even then, because it's a close-up, because even a replica would need to look pretty damn yeah. legit. I don't think they could have gotten away with making it out of, like, you know, plastic or polycarbonate and painting it or yeah. something. Yeah. Um, I mean, they could have come up with a different shot for the opening credits <laughs> and not had this weird compromise, but um, no, wh- yes. whoever did that, my hat's off to them. But it is a bit of a shitty opening. I, I think on paper, it probably looks like a pretty wicked opening, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I just think it like you just needed to be close ups of it, mm. like extra ma- like macro close ups of it or something yeah. like that. Like like it didn't need to be so literal. It's like you know. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, look. Let's get it. I wanted to do this in the last show. Now I'm going to do it now before we, you know, run out of time. John Milius. I just want to talk about him for a second. So, this is the the who I credit as you know the one of the main creative forces behind this film. He he has as as I said, sort of alleged that um, some of his ideas did make up some of the first film. I, I, I'm not quite sure about that, but but uh, certainly his fingerprints are all over this movie, although it is co-written by Michael Cimino of, of uh, The Deer Hunter, who's, who's I, I'm not quite sure what he brought to it, but the millier stuff I feel does does stick out. I mean, the, the whole idea of the death squads and he's just got a very particular uh, view on the world and I think the best way to see it is to look at his films, Big Wednesday, which is a surfing movie, I mean, Apocalypse Now is is his that's his his magnum opus. Writer of that, obviously Conan, which we covered. Red Dawn. Uh, he's credited. Spielberg has credited uh, him with uh, giving him the entire speech that Robert Shaw gives in Jaws about the USS Indianapolis. Yeah. So, which is the best dialogue in the movie? Uh, incredible dialogue. One of the most memorable uh, monologues of all time. And, you know, so I think that that's, that's high praise indeed. I mean, the lines of his that, that will endure forever. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. You know, mm. I mean, even the line after that, which is, which is always stuck with me, this haunting line in Apocalypse Now, where he says, you know, someday this war is going to end. You know, but the way he says it, you know, someday this war is going to end. Like, like and, and in your mind, you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, he's, he's lamenting that. 
Kilgore doesn't yep. want the world <laughs> doesn't want it. He to wants end. that smell of napalm. Mm. <laughs> he does though, and 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 you know the whole surfing element in that as well. Like you know, because uh, uh, he's he's done the, the one of the most famous surfing movies ever, Big Wednesday, I guess. But I guess what what draws it all, all together is that he loves. Uh, he's larger than life. He's conservative in in an old fashioned sense, uh, but fucking crazy as well. Yeah. Like he's not he's not conservative and sensible he's conservative and crazy like he's he's an artist at the end of the day he loves surfing and cuban cigars mountains guns hunting tracking like living off the land but in like sort of a wonderful a man's af- man. yeah but a man's man but an affected and grand man's man because yeah. he also draws from, from the old classics like like homer the odyssey uh you know the american west and all of that but he's well read yeah, he is well read, a very erudite. Imagine like a big burly Reaganite sort of guy, like but with all this like academic grounding. Uh, but the thing that makes him weird is that he's from Candy Ass, California. So there's the, it's the melding of those two things. Like, he, he was also you know disappointed I mean? that uh, that he didn't get get to go to his war, as he says. Because he was conscript, conscripted to go to Vietnam, and I think yes. you know he suffered asthma or something, and, and, and end up not not seeing any any combat, and he was disappointed in that. So he makes uh, Yuri. You had something. Well, I was going to jump in with my Clint trivia at this point because it's a very good segue. Uh, Clint was drafted into the army in 1950 during the time of his uh, of the Korean War. And according to his son, because so, I uh, saw this on a podcast, he was uh, supposed to actually be sent to the Korean War. But right before, he was on some sort of training flight and they crash landed in the San Francisco Bay. And it actually ties in with uh, Quint's speech. Um, they had to swim, I think, over two miles to shore at night in shark infested waters. Uh, so it seems like the pilot died and Clint and the co-pilot made it. Uh, for some reason, the army told Clint's mother that he, he was in the plane crash um, and she thought he was dead until a week later. That was by the time Clint got back to shore, got through hospital, all the rest of it, and was able to then call her up and go, oh, yeah, by the way, mum, I'm still alive. And it was because of this crash and because he had to like stay and give evidence in the investigation and shit that they deployed Korea without him. So if he hadn't have crashed, oh, hmm. he would have gone to Korea. Well, thank God. Yeah. Because... He's got great movies that we love. <laughs> I'm glad he didn't. He didn't get you know buckshot in the ass over mm. there. Uh, that's great trivia. He did. Yes, I sort of knew a little bit about that story, but not all the details. That's that's that's. He is truly another breed of man. Mm. You know what I mean. Mm. But but I believe Milius. He really ran foul of of Hollywood after he made Red Dawn. Is that correct? Yeah. Let me play this. The director of Conan, Red Dawn, and co-writer of Apocalypse Now. Milius is proudly militaristic, and he's also one of Hollywood's most famous conservatives. Hollywood was always left-wing, and I was always a pariah. Culturally, I am uncool. Culturally, I'm not cutting edge. The codes of behavior that I live by and the institutions I admire were probably dead before I was born. I, I felt I was a more traditional American conservative that that I was you know more in the line of the the tradition of rugged individualism you know I, I find you know resisting power and you know and re- revolution very very romantic <laughs> uh, 
Red Dawn is about a group of American high school kids resisting a Russian invasion of their small town. The critics hated me. They always said, this guy's dangerous. You know, he's, he's uh, subversive. Avenge me! Avenge me! Red Dawn really rang their bell. <laughs> I didn't think that it would cause such a, a cheap shot reaction from the left. It was not their political view, and it was to be suppressed and, and made fun of and belittled, which is the way the, the left deals with everything. I've been blacklisted probably since then, you know. I've been blacklisted as surely as anybody in the 50s. I should have made 20 more films. I wouldn't have known what he was talking about when, when, when see all these old, they're, they're all old documentaries. And that's what you, when you look at all these documentaries again, they look like they're fucking four by three VHS videotape. Like again, from people saying things that you just wouldn't be allowed to say. You wouldn't be allowed to say any of the stuff that they say in all these documentaries. Yeah. And I wouldn't have understood what he meant if I'd seen it probably 20, whenever this fucking thing came out, I would have just gone, what is he talking about? I'd be like, well, blacklist. Why would, is it because, I don't get it. Like, I would not have understood it. But now, I'll tell you what, I understand it now. Yeah. Well, I like how he describes himself as a, as a rugged individualist because he, he always saw uh, the political climate and would do the opposite thing. So, mm. uh, you know, he, he, he was more of a contrarian than, I think, uh, a hardcore right-wing guy. Because a conservative guy, an old-fashioned conservative wouldn't be down with the stuff he's talking about like he's he's talking he's talking about uh, he's dramatic he's talking about yeah you know what we should do we should go and like get cigars and go and hunt and that person would be like well yeah and, and would you mean like get deer hunting no no i mean like like let's get bow and arrows and go and hunt grizzlies <laughs> you know well, or- well after seeing that documentary i now know why he was the guy that that shot the bow and arrow in conan in conan yeah that's snake. right uh, but th- th- here's a quote that I got from uh, something that uh, I read about him. And, and I want to get your, your reactions to this. This is something he said. He's talking about nowadays. This is before he had his, his stroke, which we won't spend too, uh, any time talking about. I don't think we're going to watch the documentary. But uh, there's no shame in the world. And without shame, you cannot have honor. Our world is ruled by consensus now. There is no sense of honor. It's a quote by him. Which wow. I, which, which I, I thought was quite moving. When, what, what, do you, when, what do you think when, of that? When did he say that? Obviously, before his stroke a few years ago. Um, so, yeah, I read it. Uh, it seemed like from about 10 years ago or thereabouts, 11 right. years ago. So, not, not, not way back in the day. Uh, so, he's very much talking about a world we, we can recognize. Prophetic. So, there's no shame in the world. Yeah, there's no shame in the world. And without shame, you cannot have honor. And world is ruled by consensus now. There is no sense of honor. Don't you think that this is something I've been thinking about recently, this idea of shame. Um because we live in a time when that's like the the biggest sin of all is to have shame about anything you know you sh- you shouldn't have shame about uh, weeping as a man uncontrollably in front of your coworker <laughs> you shouldn't <laughs> you shouldn't have shame about wearing arseless chaps in front of children or or you know anything could be anything about like a sh- like any sense of shame you about have anything shame about eating all the pies yeah or just eating food or whatever, like or 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 not looking after yourself, whatever it is, and I don't know, getting rid of something as simple as that, uh, it has a way of. I mean, I don't know about the real world, but I do know about art a little bit, and 
What I do know is that it takes, it, it makes it art very boring. You know what I mean? It, it makes everything a very creepy, uh, yeah, Brave New World style future where if we take away all the shame, if we conflate everything, if we take away the light and shade and say, no, no, it's all good. It's all good, man. It's all good. I mean, let's say it. I mean, Katie's worked on a show where the arguments in the writer's room were, uh, or the producers would be obsessed with making everyone cool with it. So as in, as in so, she, so she'd go, oh, well, you know, this character's got autism and, she, and Katie would be like, okay, well, we'll, we'll have a, you know, n- n- like uh, fight against that. She doesn't want to be, she doesn't want to have autism. She, she wants to be normal or, 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 or neurotypical. And she's, you know, and then they'd say, no, 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 it's all fine. Everyone's cool with it. And even she's cool with it. And you go, okay, it's just not very dramatic. And then, and she's doing drugs and she's like, okay, well, and she's doing drugs. Okay, well, her parents then are, are really worried about that because it's you know that, that, that she's going off the rails and, and no 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 her parents are cool with it. <laughs> where where is the conflict in this show? You well, know, where where Katie, is the drama? So my wife said to them, she said, "I understand what you're all saying that you know it's important representation is important and that we shouldn't have be shaming anyone ever for anything ever. However, we're making a fucking show here and in movies." In stories, in TV, if we want honour, we want justice, we want highs and lows. And uh, I mean, human truths are built on these things, these binary oppositions. And now we're in a, in a world where binary is bad. But in art, binary is good because we get, we, we, we get to play with that. And we say, oh, wow, what if there was a good guy who did bad things? So what if there was a bad guy who did good things? And we, we fuck it all up and we say, and we bring in shame and we say, wow, like, you know, shame and honor. Like maybe if there's a shameful figure, maybe they can get honor back by doing certain actions. And, and those are the things that really move us. So I just, I just, yeah. What do you guys think of that? Well, I think it even goes a little bit deeper than that um, with the way, like quite literally with the way humans are built. Um, I've been listening to the uh, podcast by a guy who's um, works at Harvard and heads up a team talking about longevity and one line from him that's really stuck with me is saying that human beings are built to be cold and hungry like we've got all these biological things that when we're hungry we've got responses to that that are net positive for us when we're cold we've got responses to that that are net positive we thrive by being uncomfortable uh, physically it makes us live longer and I can't imagine that that's also not I can't imagine that's completely separated out from our psychology. I, I think we are built to be uncomfortable and to overcome that discomfort, to do hard things and, and overcome them and complete them. We're not built for homeostasis. Exactly, which is... So I, I think these things are, are literally in our fucking DNA, you know, this sort of conflict and drama to to make us thrive, let alone to, to see it in art and, you know... And, and you know why the fuck would anyone give a shit about watching a show where everything's just okay all the time mm. you go all right so what am i watching then what's the point well you know what is okay in san francisco at the moment crime <laughs> seems to be okay with yeah, everyone's cool with authority everyone's, everyone's cool, cool with it. it except for the people that actually live there and don't, uh, and don't people who run the businesses there and people who don't want to yep. step in dookie outside so you know their schools i think san francisco could do with a harry callahan and in fact (laughs) their own magnum force because san francisco is fucking out of control with crime at the moment okay so 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 are you saying 
not just Callahan, but also the the Kill Squad. Yes, right. he also wants all both of them. them. He wants <laughs> he wants he wants Harry doing his thing and the Kill Squad. Yes. So the full suite, you know. <laughs> Uh, so I don't know how across uh, this issue you guys are. I mean, we're I only all, see what I see on Twitter. That's which right. Is well, no, none of it's good. And and we're all we're three Aussie blokes who are a little bit uh, distance from what's happening over there. But that uh, San Francisco has a district attorney by the name of Chesa Boudin, uh, who is an American lawyer, a member of the Democratic Party, uh, and he's the 29th district attorney of San Francisco. He's been that since 2020. Uh, he's been heavily criticised for his perceived softness on crime. Um, and he's been the subject of a recall election as well, um, where 55.05% of the voters chose to remove him from office. This guy is so soft on crime, uh, he's decided not to prosecute serious crimes. There was a case of a deranged guy who ran down a woman and her toddler in the street with a car, knocking them down to the ground, and he got let off. Uh, thank God those, those, uh, those people survived. Um, he's been criticized in a number of instances. I've seen that footage. It's shocking. It's true. It's so. It's so dreadful. Like, like I just can't believe yeah. it. Um, so this Boudin character, he's been criticised in a number of instances for releasing suspects with a history of previous convictions, who then went on to commit further crimes, which I think is is the biggest is the biggest crime here. I mean, when you, I mean, this is the whole thing about um, uh, about about you know people reforming in prison. You know, if someone is a serious serious criminal. You know, it's it's hard to take that line that oh they've they've been rehabilitated. Let's let them out into the into society because if they do commit another murder or another rape or something, then you know that's that's a huge strategy, a huge tragedy, I think. Um, but drugs, homelessness, home invasions, carjacking, shoplifting, and attacks on Asian citizens as well is is out of control. Well, they don't count, so I know. Yeah, they they're doing well academically so hasn't the left sort of said they don't count or i mean i'm just following yeah. the newsletter i don't well they're they're, they're considered white adjacent ah uh, yes yes knew, yep yeah take so, that take that in san Asian francisco people. thefts under 950 dollars are not prosecuted so you've seen footage of people just going into shops and just walking out with with armfuls of sneakers and, and other stuff, you know. Yeah, and like TVs um, and shit and just walking past the security right. guard and cops. That's right. Like, and so this has led the chain store Walgreens to close 22 of its stores in the city. Shoplifting is fucking out of control. Um, so there's also been a problem with lack of prosecution of drug-related stuff as well. Um, so this Boudin guy, he's actually the son of two convicted terrorists. David Gilbert and Kathy Boudin, uh, who were members of the terrorist group, the Weather, the Weather Underground, who in 1981 were involved in a bank robbery that resulted in the killing and wounding of several bank security guards and police officers. Now, the Weather Underground was involved in various bombings around the US, uh, and their express political goal was to create a revolutionary party to overthrow American imperialism and form a classless communist world. I tell you what, this this has got all the makings of a... 2022 Dirty Harry reboot. Right well, here. do you think that we are due for a resurgence in this way? You know, do you think that... Uh, well, I don't think we've seen films or shows set in today's times that are really sort of law and order based. I don't because, think. you know, Yuri, I don't know how well you remember the film The Joker. or, or I think it's just called Joker. Mm. I think it's The Joker. I think it's Joker. Anyway. Anyway, the point is, the point is, that was set in the 70s. They sort of dodged it being set now. 
and uh, the, he does a see. There's a famous case in this in the well, I think it was in the seventies of Bernard Getz who it was the original Death Wish. So basically, he was in the subway. People tried to mug him, and he just went bang, 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 and he just like killed them. Like, like so, it's a famous case, and they made Death Wish based on that. And everyone read it and was just felt really jazzed because they're like, oh my god, you know. Part of them, obviously, reading the story was like, I, you know what, I, I, I'm sick of these muggers, man. I'm just sick of these people, like, and rapists and killers and whatever running the streets. And in Joker, they they have this Bernard get seen, but he kills like fucking. Wall Street guys. Mm. Do you remember this? Mm. Like, they make a big point of them being Wall Street guys. Like, and that's... So, uh, the, I haven't seen the Wall Street guys in San Francisco, like, you know, ruling the streets. Now, there is a different point to be made in the Joker, I think, of, of like, you know, elites and, and whatnot. But maybe that, it, you know... I've seen footage from the New York subway on Twitter recently of... Um, a crazy person, well, not 100% crazy, but three-quarters crazy, uh, holding an entire carriage hostage, grabbing the hair of, 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 of a girl and leading her around like a psychopath out of a movie, and big dudes standing around like fucking cowards mm. watching this happen, watching this happen. They did nothing. So I didn't see the Wall Street guys doing that. So I, I, I'm just saying like it's scenes like this which which I think fuel because you're not allowed to say any of the stuff we're saying now. Like, like people would go, how dare you? How dare you say this? What you should be saying is let more criminals <laughs> So, So I think that there could be... A t- I think there's a total market for a silent majority vigilante sort of, I don't know, story, film, t- whatever. Like, because we're all feeling it. We're all, we'll all see these scenes and we're just like, you know what, I believe in... Um, rehabilitation. I believe that we should look into the prisons and get all that shit sorted. And you shouldn't have to go to prison expected to be Oz. But at the same time, we can't have people doing the stuff they're doing in these videos. Well, no. when 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 Ricky started talking, I'm like, yeah, I, I I mean, maybe Dirty Harry, but not the Kill Squad. And then by the time he ended talking, I'm like, yeah, 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 you, you definitely, the kill, the definitely the Kill Squad. Two Kill Squads. Two <laughs> Kill Squads. <laughs> Well, I've I've heard people. Uh, I think it was on the Megan Kelly podcast. People who uh, are, are fairly liberal, who are not into guns at all, who have now purchased handguns and, and keep them in the glove box of their car for fear of carjackings and stuff that's happening, uh, particularly in in San Francisco and surrounding areas. You know, I just don't know how. Look, I know that we I, look. I don't live in America, and maybe for American listeners, you could you could let us know how it works over there, because I'm sure that the, a lot of the people just live in normal suburbs. It's not a big big problem. But some of the stuff that gets on the news is really strange. Like, because some of the stuff we're seeing doesn't happen in any Australian city. Now we've gotten a lot of hate because people think that we're pussies and we're under the thumb of the cops and the government, which is true, true to a certain degree. It is kind of true, but at the same time. I don't want I don't I don't want just crazy shoplifting going on. I don't want like assaults and rapes and killings and stuff to be going on. I don't want open drug scenes as well. Like 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 they've got in San Francisco. Like all of that. Am I am I some sort of stiff for not wanting all of that or I mean, who the fuck does want any of that, you know? <laughs> like other than the criminals and the drug dealers, no no one wants But the that. politicians and the DAs who do who who do want it uh, or, or at least turn a blind eye, they don't seem to live near it. Well, that's I think right, that's yeah. the biggest yeah. factor. I think that's that's the thing that would change everything. If 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 it actually came to their doorstep, I think they would do a one eighty quick smart, 
And I, yeah. I think I, I, I might send you guys that um, kind of video. And I think it was actually on the New York Times YouTube channel talking about uh, housing prices where uh, Democrats are in charge. And, um, mm. you know, things like uh, um, kind of housing for homeless and all the rest of it. So they all talk a big game. But then in the areas where they are actually in charge, they, they vote the other way. They put on more restrictions. They have more exclusive, more gated communities because they're <laughs> elites. And, you yes. know, they block um, public housing from coming to their suburbs. They go, oh, no, we definitely need public housing. It's not near me. It's not near me, mate. not near me. It's over there. Oh, geez, if that came, you know what I'd do? I'd probably pick up a gun and start, start shooting. And, and my, some, my some, housing something. price would go down. And and I'm all you know I'm all against you know housing prices and all the rest of it just just not not for mine not mine you know just just yeah, not I not it, it mate not it I get it well I don't want them to burn my stuff so. and uh, another no. thing that always baffles me is you know um, uh, so Ricky you mentioned this guy's parents wanted to start some sort of communist utopia of you know no laws and shit I mean I I actually for the first few years in my life grew up in a socialist country. Mate, that's not how it actually works. If anything, there's more law and order and shit in those places. You know, it, it's not, you know, it, they seem to be mixing like communism with libertarianism or something. It's like, I don't know what the fuck they're on about, but they're sorely mistaken about communist or socialist and Marxist utopias. Like, they don't exist. Now we're going to do something extremely fun. We're going to play a wonderful game called Who is my daddy? And what does he do? <laughs> it never gets old. <laughs> never gets old. What, j just as a recap, so where, you know, a lot of us watched these sorts of movies uh, to go for, you know, to maybe look at strong role models and potential father figures. So I've got some candidates for you guys and you need to pick who would you like to have as your father. Now, just to be clear, you don't have to pick one because I feel, I know you, you know, you do. You have to pick one. No, I think you have to pick one. You have to pick one. <laughs> so, so you have to pick <laughs> one. Okay, right. You can't be a fence setter. And no. Yeah, you, no, you can't You, you can't be fatherless. Yeah. All right. Well, now I feel I'm, I've been appropriately bullied by these strong <laughs> men into agreeing with them. So I will pick. I follow the rules. Let's go. All right. So obviously, uh, the first one, uh, Harry Callahan. So he, this guy is fucking cool in every situation Arguing with the boss, having all manner of bitches asking to fuck him, store shootouts, <laughs> terrorist carjackings, bomb disposals, cool as a fucking cucumber, doesn't even flinch. Um, and, you know, as you already may have guessed, he's clearly popular with the ladies. I think literally the only two women he talks to in the entire movie flat out ask to have sex with him. Uh, so yeah. it's like 100% strike rate. 100% batting average. <laughs> that's, that's based on real life, by the way. The, re the reason why they're, they're, there's a woman of Asian descent who want, tries to jump his bones in this film is because apparently he would get a lot of mail from the female Asian community wanting to sleep with him. Well, that's amazing. Speaking of mail, looks like the fellas like him too, which is, uh, you know, the neighbor that hassles him while yes. he's uh, yes. um, disposing of the bomb from the letterbox. Mm, After yeah. a while goes... Oh, you're the cop from upstairs. So uh, I think I think he wants a piece too. Katie was walking through there and she goes, "Oh, he's gay." Yeah, yeah. So she was she read she read the signals. Yeah. Um, so I mean, especially compared to maybe last episode's uh, potential candidates, he might not be able to beat up the other dads, but he could definitely calmly blow their heads off 
and then the widow would probably try to nail him afterwards. So, you know. <laughs> this and, is all good um, stuff. He is fairly progressive, we've already mentioned. Like, you know, the, the woman that he does end up boning is Asian. So he's, you know, doesn't have a problem with race. Uh, it mm. never comes up with, you know, with his partner. Nor do I, for that partner. matter. Ex- ex- yeah, exactly. So that's all good. And he doesn't seem to have a problem with sexuality. So he doesn't berate his neighbor or anything uh, about him coming onto him. And the line I mentioned before, where he said, as long as the rest of you could shoot like that, I wouldn't care if the whole damn department was queer. So no problems with that. Progressive. Cons. He doesn't seem to be doing well money-wise. That is a shitty, shitty little apartment that he's got. (laughs) Spends all his money on bullets. I I don't know what he... I, I don't know. He might not be making it. And I mean, he's always pissing off his bosses, so he might get fired any minute. And your living circumstances might get even fucking worse after he loses his job. Mm. And, um, you know, the the ice cold thing runs both ways. So you wouldn't really get any warmth or sympathy from him. So in that, um, if you remember in that scene where they're uh, foiling the store robbery, uh, after it's all said and done and, and, you know, they've blown away all the fucking bad guys, there's the other cop comes up to him and he's clearly shaken and he says something like, that's the first time I ever shot anyone. And Callahan looks almost disgusted, takes a long pause and says, why don't you help the lady, huh? Mm. So if you're coming to him with whatever bullshit problem you've got, you're getting nothing. Well, it's, it's tough love. It's what we used to call tough love. So if I said I got bullied on the internet, well, he wouldn't... He, he'd be like, what's that? He, he probably... <laughs> I mean, I imagine he'd say nothing and probably just walk out of the room or something, you know. It's, as he should, yeah. as he should. So the other candidate, Lieutenant Briggs... Yeah. Much better job, much higher rank, probably more money that comes with that. Um, Much more caring. So despite all the shit he cops from Callahan, he's quite nice and sympathetic to him when he lets him know that his um, former partner McCoy gets killed and he keeps wanting to give Callahan the lead on the Palancho arrest. So he's been copying shit from him all movie. But then in in, in a time where he, you know, might be feeling bad, he's caring, you know tries to give him some support, tries to make him feel better. Um, he cares about justice, Lieutenant Briggs. Maybe a little too much, but he cares about justice. And um, he's in charge of a kill squad. Cons, mm-hmm. he's in charge of a kill squad. <laughs> <laughs> the caring and the sympathy that he shows you may be part of a setup to try and get you killed. Maybe. We don't know. And um, despite, rank, despite his rank, he seems to get no fucking respect from anyone that he works with. So, you know, um, y- you might see your, you know, dad emasculated regularly. So that would kind of suck. And um, the, the final candidate, just as a, as a bit of a, um, you know, bit of a bit of a wild card is the pimp. So pros, he knows about ladies, right? He knows to check <laughs> the titty bank. And the yep, snatch bank. And the snatch bank. Don't forget Don't that. forget the titty bank and the snatch bank. Um, Let me check out that titty he's bank. He's got a lot yes. of cash, clearly enough, to pay off the cops. So a lot of cash. He's got a styling car with giant fucking pipes coming out the side of it. What do those pipes do? They're just aesthetic, aren't they? I think nothing... That, so if, if they are exhaust pipes, there is some uh, power to be gained by trying to get the exhaust out of your car as quickly as possible. So if you shorten that okay. pipe and have it coming out the side as opposed to having moving all the way down the back of your car and out the tail end, you might have some sort of power advantage from that. So a lot of the times when you see like um, 
drag cars and nitro cars that aren't street legal the pipes are literally coming out the top of the engine bay and not going yeah. anywhere mm. having said that it's such a big fucking heavy car that i don't think you know power is is an issue it's not it does, it's doesn't not a performance look built vehicle. for speed no it doesn't look built for no speed. so i think it's just to look bitchin and um you know another another pro is his his you know got a good sense of style with his robin hood hat with a feather in it yeah, that's true. Cons, he might make you drink drain cleaner, and we've already spoken about that. That's not cool. And he'll probably get shot. So, <laughs> but, but, we, but we will inherit the car. If it's not impounded as evidence, probably. Mm. Yeah. Um, mm. I mean, And it's got bullet holes and blood. Yeah. Your, your, you know, your, your dad's blood. Um, you know, and, and, and I'm not sure, you know, in terms of the cash and all the rest of it, I can't imagine there's bank accounts that he could, like, leave to you. I imagine it's all just kind of... The, the, they're all hidden away in titty banks around well, the city. Well, you'd have to go check every titty and snatch bank in your neighbourhood, and I'm not sure well, how that, that would go down. that's a pro, right? Depends if you could get away with it or not, really, I guess. I mean, I, well, yeah. actually, if you're in San Francisco, you would get away with it. So, yeah, go nuts. I mean, right. if you're in San Francisco, just go check all the snatch banks now anyway. You know, you, yeah. you might you might have a win. Uh, only if they're Asian, though, you can get away with that. So, we've got, yeah, Callahan, Lieutenant Briggs, and the Pimp. Uh, Ricky, who are you choosing as dad? Well, I think the thing you want most out of a parent and a father is honesty. And I think I think Harry would be a very honest man. He would say it like it is. You know, he wouldn't sugarcoat anything. He wouldn't tell you any lies. And I think in the long run, that that will that will help your development as a young adolescent. So I think I'd have to go with Harry, even though financially he doesn't seem to be very well set up. Um, but I think from a, 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 a holistic perspective, he's going to help my development more. Mm. Okay. Well, I'm today I'm more drawn to Briggs because <laughs> I feel like he is, yeah, obviously I'd, my life would be more comfortable than Ricky's dumb life because he would just be <laughs> living, I don't know, in a fucking bed sit where I'm living okay. But I also quite like the the ultra-stoical, uh, you know, action of Briggs being to- be treated like a punk bitch by everyone, but he's got a death squad. Like, that's true yes, power. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, that that's ultimate power. That's a, like that's You've got a monastery of the mind. You're like, I don't care what people think because at the end of the day, they might disrespect me, but I have a death squad. I, I have a death squad, and that's how I do business. And so, when if I ever found that out, I'd be like, "Oh, my dad was really cool. Like, you know, he just didn't make a big show." Give of me it. your lunch. My dad has a death squad. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, I'm I'm not sure that you'd be able to because it's a secret death squad, though. So, okay. I mean, that that aspect of your of your old man. Well, if I had no idea, it would it would probably just think he's a punk bitch. But I'd still have a good pad. Though. It, it seems like you'd find out about <laughs> it like really late in the game after you've gone yeah. through the teen years, thinking your dad's a little bitch, and then it's not until yes. you're a full grown adult that you go, actually, no, he wasn't. He was he was proper hard. Well, I just thought it'd be better. It'd be better than the pimp. Yeah, I think you know. So. I mean, like, you, I mean, you could, the- all, you could also choose. Callahan, you know. I just don't. I, I just feel like. Then, I mean, then we could be brothers. Of, we could be brothers, but no, no. Fuck you, Ricky. I'm going with Briggs, and I'm going to go and have a good life. Live, live a good life. Uh, well, I'm going to learn how to be an excellent marksman then. Well, in the wash-up, you guys are both fucking racist pigs, because uh, clearly <laughs> the only reason you didn't choose the pimp was because he was a man of color, not for yeah. any other reason whatsoever. It's only race, so fuck you both. I'm off this podcast. 
I, I get it. I get it. I accept your condemnation. <laughs> All right, let me talk about the music because this uh, this film has another awesome score. This time by the one and only Lalo Schifrin, uh, the Argentinian-born composer, arranger, jazz pianist. I think one of the biggest things the score adds to this film is it makes Harry cool. I think it it, it adds an extra kind of element of coolness to him as a character, I think. Um, One of the standouts of the score is the legendary session drummer John Gruen, who plays drums on this and the original Dirty Harry film. I'm not sure if he does the other ones. I I can't quite remember. I'll have to check that out. But it's jazz funk to the extreme. Um, So the soundtrack is kind of like a a classic TV theme spy jazz with a mix of like ethnic flavors, including quite prominently an instrument called the tabla, which is famous in uh, in Indian uh, Indian music. So it's like a pitched Indian drum that's that's played with the hands. Uh, but it also dips into free jazz, which is largely devoid of the usual harmonic markers that jazz musicians follow. So free jazz is an experimental approach to jazz improvisation that came out sort of in the late 50s and early 60s. And some jazz musicians at the time uh, attempted to change or break down jazz conventions such as regular tempos or tones uh, or regular chord progressions. And the result can sound a bit disorientating and jarring because it often uses a lot of dissonance and uh, one person who uh, was sort of at the forefront of this free jazz movement was a saxophonist by the name of Ornette Coleman, who in 1960 recorded what was uh, the most influential early record of this style. Um, and uh, so the, the album is actually entitled Free Jazz. Uh, it's subtitled A Collective Improvisation by the Ornette Coleman Double Quartet. So it had it strangely had a, two two quartets panned uh one on the left speaker one on the right speaker and i just wanted to play you a little bit of this free jazz uh before i talk a little bit more about um the score itself for this film So pretty hectic, pretty crazy, pretty out there sort of stuff. Uh, so the original Dirty Harry score had like a, a dreamy, wordless solo female vocal. Do, do you remember that? Yes. It has this this sort of wafting mm. female voice. <laughs> there you go. All that sort of you, stuff. You, you, you could have been that voice. Thank you very much. <laughs> So uh, uh, that was used to try and convey the psycho killer Scorpio's inner mind, I think. Uh, But in this film, Schifrin uses the wordless vocals, but this time featuring more singers. And I reckon they sound fucking unhinged to me. Like the singers are not holding back. They're singing very over the top. But I always interpreted that as being the, the it's the the sort of the the 
madness of of the criminality in, in the film yeah of scorpio in the first one yes that sort of yeah for sure yeah so i think uh the world music elements uh the rock and the jazz fusion really match the bohemian san francisco of the 60s and 70s you know but i think Schifrin's kind of given it a bit of a nasty bent i think um it's uh a, a lot of the score is not as driving and exciting as that including those free jazz elements and it you know go, takes it to disturbing places i guess you know and i think what's interesting in this score is he's added in military snare drum to the percussion section and i think that's to hint at the police involvement in these crimes because mm. if you think of you know police forces have military bands you know other armed forces also and uh, and the kill squads are all former military the four guys and they're all former military as well so Great. that's something that that uh that i picked out this time around so uh let me play you uh, a cue called the cop and i think this is when the the, the first vigilante cop uh, kills that group in the car and uh so he's using a lot using a lot of dissonance in his sustained chord pads here and um so have a listen to it um it sort of shows you that free jazz nasty disturbing thing he's going for kind of hear um if you've ever seen enter the dragon it's like i think any shift from score you hear it and you, it's him you know like it's uh he's just got a sound of his own um uh i'll play you uh something called harry's ostinato so harry has a theme that runs through a lot of these films and it's a playful theme it's used in at least the first two and this one really features that instrument i mentioned before which is the pitch hand drums So that that music's actually used when he uh, is going on the plane, impersonating the pilot to sort of um, apprehend the hijackers. So there's always like a little playful thing in these films, like an early scene where he foils some crime that's not directly related to the main <laughs> story. The trope of the film, yeah. That's right, yeah. I mean, in that scene also, I did learn that planes have got handbrakes. I didn't know that. 
I don't know if that's I legitimate. I wouldn't use it. I wouldn't use this as your flight <laughs> manual. You know, just. It is pretty funny when 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 you know the co-pilot turns to him and goes, "Sir, have you ever flown a pl- flown a plane before?" <laughs> <laughs> well, mind you, up until that point, I was really gripped by that scene. I'm like, "Oh my god, he's going to." Is he going to try and fly? Oh my god, he's going to try that, and fly. That would oh be terrifying. Oh I god. think that would be absolutely terrifying to to have to take control of a plane and having no idea how to fly. I, I think that I think that was almost scarier than um, trying to disarm the hunt. Excuse me, Captain. I know this may sound silly, but can you fly? Nope. Never had a lesson. Well, the last one I wanted to play you is what's called the finale, but it's a very. Uh, Unfinale-esque piece of music. Uh, both Magnum Force and Dirty Harry end with this really depressing piece of music. That the, the melody is played on on what's called a Fender Rhodes electric piano, and it's accompanied by high violin harmonics. And this music always made me feel strange. I, I can't really put my finger on it. Like it's melancholy. It's depressing. It, it, it's sad. I, I don't know. You guys can maybe tell me what you uh, what you think of it. I don't know, the, the, the other, uh, I guess, thing that comes to mind, desolate for me. It sounds desolate. One of my favourite pieces of music uh, in, in the, the movies. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, when he, it's because it's when he throws away his badge in yeah. the first one. And it's, it's, it's meant to be, uh, it's just the sort of ending we don't get anymore, which is, uh, you know, get, getting you to, you know, I don't know. You, that's where you, that's where you have to pay the piper, you know. Like, you, you go, oh, wow, like, you know, we, we've lost a good cop. We've, you know, the streets is terrorist we can't fight city hall all that stuff it sort of weighs on you in that mm. in that and he's also had to become grubby he's had to he has a, he had to go too far so at the start i mentioned there was one scene that um i actually remembered uh when it came on this time i was like oh shit i have seen this movie or at least part of this movie um i'll give you guys a guess just one guess what do you think it is just real quick astro oh it can't be the the sex layer scene Nah, uh, i mean you're close <laughs> okay. Oh wait, no. It's the, the titties at the pool. No, no. Oh, oh okay. Well, we're Ricky? on the different. We're on the different pages here. Clearly, we have different priorities in life. It it was it was the neighbor coming out and saying, oh, "You're the cop from upstairs, aren't you?" It's like, yes. Can I Sunny. ask you a question? Yeah. What does a woman have to do to sleep with you? That stuck with you. Of all that the exchange. Stuff, I, I talked about these high-octane scenes with sex and blood and violence. The thing that stuck in your mind was this subtle come-on by, by Sonny, that Asian American. Well, the thing is, I don't think it was at all subtle. I mean, it's, Well, in it's comparison about, to being shot up at a pool party. Well, yeah, yeah, subtle. yeah. But, well, that's the thing. I'm not sure if that's the one thing I remembered, having seen the rest of the movie, but I, I don't think I'd actually seen the whole thing. I think I just came into this bit. But ever since then, it's like, I want to be that guy. <laughs> how, how, okay. how could you not want to be that guy and and I, like i don't remember his response but it's like th- this time around like i paid attention it was awesome he just goes well try knocking on the door then he goes upstairs like just casually walks in pulls a beer out. he's like completely forgotten if that were me i'd be like 
crouched by the door waiting to like pounce oh, yes. and ruin it and I, I would have gone down to buy the ring <laughs> no, he, he's just casually um you know just casually goes about like he would as if it didn't happen gets a beer and he's almost surprised by the knock at the door and goes oh hey, that's right but i feel like this is probably part of locker room talk but but again we keep coming back to this idea this is a male fantasy scene right i mean the whole point the whole point of that it's it's not so that I mean, part of it is so that we think Clint Eastwood is awesome and Dirty Harry is awesome, but at the same time, it's wish fulfillment, right? You go, oh, wow, wouldn't it be great to be this stoical masculine guy and have girls throwing themselves at you? I, I honestly cannot see how that scene would be shot today without, I don't know, the crew and everyone going on strike and and yeah. like they did at Spotify and saying... Mm. We're not coming into work today. If you're going to shoot that scene where she says to the, the muscular anti-hero, what does a woman have to do to go to bed with you? If you're going to shoot that scene, then we're not coming into work and you know anymore. Yep. Well, so. Milius hated all of that, by the way. He, yes, he did. And, and I've that. got a quote here. It's a long quote, so I'll just get to the bit where he talks about the girls specifically. He says, um, all the stuff they put in about the Japanese girl... They put in a scene where the star gets to fuck some girl and it's pretty hard to get it out. My Dirty Harry scripts never had Harry knowing any girls too well other than hookers because he was he was a lonely guy who lived alone and didn't like to associate with people. He could never be close enough to a woman to have any sort of affair. A bitter a bitter lonely man who liked his work. He's got integrity. That's 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 the the version with integrity. I mean it, it's much more popcorn with the scene, this scene in, but yeah. if you go straight down the line and say, well, who is Harry? Well then, yeah, he's, he's not, um, you know, a ladies man. Well, my, my lived experience tells me that in this case, Millinus was wrong. <laughs> and my lived experience trumps any other argument, right? Woke jitsu at its best. You just say lived experience and then that's it. Yes. Well, you win. Okay, all right. Ricky? All right, let's get trivial. You've already sort of started. You started the trivial I have, with I that have. quote, so let's go. All right, so this is Clint Eastwood's favourite Dirty Harry movie. Is that a surprise? I think, it should be, I think it's mine too. Yeah. Now. Albert Popwell, who played the pimp, appeared in the first four Dirty Harry movies with Clint Eastwood. He portrayed a different character in each movie. So he was the bank robber in Dirty Harry. He's the pimp in this movie. He's a black militant leader in The Enforcer and he's Harry's partner, Horace, in Sudden Impact. I, I did see that when, because um, I, I just kind of looked into him a bit when I had him as a potential dad. As I, he's in the other movies as all different characters. Well, he's like, he's, he's sort of a bit like um, the bad guy in Mad Max, mm. who's in all of them. Yes, yeah. E- even in Fury Road. Even in Fury Road. Isn't the, um, the, the Jaro... A pilot in two of them Bruce as well. Spence. As yeah, but but the, but but it's more fabulous that the bad guy is the bad guy. Even when he's young, he's the bad guy. Yeah. Then he's the he's in the second one with the mask on. I, I haven't seen the third one in a while, but he's definitely in Fury Road. He's in. It's mad as mm. a beefy, crazy head, old, muscular man. Yeah, I did have another bit of trivia about uh, about Sonny, and <laughs> this so, this chick has come I up know. a lot. <laughs> so much. So according so much. to Milius, so uh, according to Milius, um, she was written into the script because Clint Eastwood received many fan letters from Asian women that contained sexual prop, uh, propositions. Great. So, well, 
yeah. it's good. There you go. Mm-hmm. Something about Clint, Clint appeals to the, the Asian population. So directly after the scene in the garage where Callahan is threatened by the motorcycle cops, uh, the, the motorcycles drive out and every single one of them crashed. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and Clint Eastwood was not impressed. Every <laughs> single one of those guys crashed, crashed their, uh, their motorbikes. So the San Francisco Police Department range, where Harry meets the four rookies, is uh, in reality the Oakland Police Department's indoor range. It's now closed partly due to the many Dirty Harry fans who kept trying to sneak into it, but mostly due to indoor uh, inhaled lead problems. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> it was charming. It was a charming bit of Hollywood trivia, and then it and was just it was... a serious <laughs> yeah. infrastructure-related, yeah. like, you know, yeah, bureaucratic hazard. nightmare. Yeah, yeah hazard. Yeah, workplace hazard. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I didn't pick this when I saw it, but I'd have to go back and, and have a look. An uncredited Carl Weathers can be seen briefly as one of the demonstrators protesting uh, at the uh, at the opening of the scene in the courthouse. Oh, wow. So, um, now, here's one for the nudeography. Suzanne Summers makes an uncredited appearance as the topless woman in the pool shot early in the movie. It's the only time she appeared nude on screen throughout her career. Now, you guys would probably know Suzanne Summers as the hot mom. Step by step. Step by step. I can sing the song. It's my, it's, uh, I can hear it in my head. I just step by step, day by day. Come on, man! I, I and, and you've just made my day, by the way, because I I didn't know that I had seen them, and I'd and always wanted to see them. So yep. it's like Patrick Stewart says, "It's too late. I've seen it all." Mm. So, uh, so this is the only Dirty Harry movie in which the opening credits are not played over San Francisco scenery. Mm. I, I felt like I missed a little bit of that in this film. There, there wasn't as much San Francisco scenery. Well, there's an incredible shot in the first film where at the very beginning where Harry goes to the top of a building to, to see where Scorpio had shot off, you know, got his shot off. And you do get this wide angle, top-down shot of, of San Francisco. It's incredible, you know? And so that, I, I agree, that was, was, was missing the heartbeat of the city. Yeah, yeah. So David Saul, uh, who played the blonde cop, was then in an open relationship with Sandra Locke they were both married at the time, and she would become Clint Eastwood's live-in lover two years later. Now, when was the last time you heard the term live-in lover? That's not a term you hear anymore, is it? No, you hear thruple. Uh, <laughs> yes. And stuff. Or, or, or Ad- other ad- dumb words. Advice on how to get along with your girlfriend's boyfriend? Yes, yes, yes. Or, or what is the other one? The... Um, Ryan Long always talks about, in one of his skits talks about like yeah how, how his his wife's bull has, uh, has has is a Trump supporter. Or oh, I, no, um, entanglement. It's an entanglement now. Ah uh, yes yes. If you're the Smiths. Uh, All right, shall right. we do a few reviews here? Go on. I've got kind of a, a, an overview here. Uh, Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune gave the film two and a half stars out of four and wrote the problem with Magnum Force is that this new side of Harry, this anti-vigilantism, is never made believable in the context of his continuing tendency to brandish his forty-four Magnum revolver as if it were his phallus. Oh! The new clean Harry doesn't cut it. Some of the film's action sequences do. So, Stickler. Mm, but still, I like, uh, I don't know, the use of the word phallus. Yeah. yeah. Well, he gets it on some level. Mm. He knows what mano mano is all about. <laughs> <laughs> so Kevin Thomas of the Los dicks. Angeles Times. To, we're all about dicks. <laughs> hey man, you, 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 we all. This is like Rorschach test. You just, you know, you see what, see you, what see, you see, you know, yeah. right? And if it happens to be a big dick, that's <laughs> it's your deal and mine. 
<laughs> All right, Kevin Thomas of the LA Times found the film too preoccupied in celebrating violence to keep it in focus. Oh, shut up. Pauline Kael, a uh, harsh critic, critic of Eastwood for many years, mocked his performance as Dirty Harry, commenting that he isn't an actor, so one could hardly call him a bad actor. He'd have to do something before we could consider him a, him bad at it. And acting isn't required of him in magnum force. Kale, famous. Famous, famously bitchy. I know. Gary Arnold of the Washington Post was positive, praising the film as an ingenious and exciting crime thriller, a thriller with a, a less self-righteous message than the original Dirty Harry. And critic Gary Cowardice wrote that... Uh, we are left with the uh, comforting assurance that when we need him, Harry and all the cops like him who do the dirty jobs no one else wants will be there protecting us from the lunatic fringes of both left and right. Sure, Harry may be a little trigger happy, but at least he shoots the right people. The problem, however, one which the film raises but never resolves, is who determines the definition of right people. Uh, Well, people who brandish weapons and go after innocent people are the wrong people. I said it. But but not not if they keep it under nine hundred and fifty dollars. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or whatever. I guess whatever the whatever those white DA, DAs say. All right. Well, is that does that mean it's time for locker room talk? Yes. Okay. Well, you know, there's, there's there's some interesting stuff here. All right. She's come up a lot tonight, Sunny. Uh, Harry is approached by his Asian neighbour. <laughs> this scene has captivated our imagination. <laughs> she asked him, uh, you know, what she has to do to go to bed with him. There are many transgressions here. So, the first thing which neither of you pointed out, is that he's older than she is, okay? Clearly, he's older than she is. Although, and he's just, just sorry to cut in here, he's, he's one of these guys in this era where he could be 35, he could be 55. He could be, but I think that's hedging, okay? Because he's clearly older, and uh, as we found out recently, that's a no-no. So I've got a little excerpt from a, a, a news article from news.com.au. Uh, this is the headline. Jurassic Park stars Sam Neill and Laura Dern stunned by 20-year age gap. This is the uh, the uh, sub-headline. When they starred as lovers in Jurassic Park 30 years ago, Sam Neill and Laura Dern had no idea just how questionable their age gap was. So here's the body. You've got to get into this. When they filmed Jurassic Park back in 1992, Sam Neill and Laura Dern had no idea they shared a rather significant age gap. The Hollywood heavyweights played love interests Dr. Alan Grant and Dr. Ellie Sattler in the Steven Spielberg Dinosaur Classic. But it wasn't until Neil, now 74, read an article titled Old Geezers and Gals that he realised he was 20 years older than Laura. He told the Sunday Times there were people like Harrison Ford and Sean Connery acting with much younger people. And there I was on the list. Come on, it can't be true. He added... At the time, it was completely it was a completely appropriate age difference for a leading man and a lady! Exclamation uh, point. Neil would have been forty five when the first Jurassic Park was filmed, while Dern was twenty six. But Dern, now fifty five, said it felt quote completely appropriate to fall in love with Sam Neil. Uh, quote It was only now, when we returned in a moment of cultural awareness about the patriarchy, that I was like, "Wow, we're not the same age." She she said patriarchy, did you? Yeah. She said she said it was only now when we returned in a moment of cultural awareness about patriarchy that I was like, wow, we're not the same age? Question mark. So this is all to say that uh, Sonny and uh, and Harry is as as this article has shown completely inappropriate. Um, I mean, the fact that they're consenting adults 
I mean, if that's what you you guys thought, if you thought that was okay, well then, that's disgusting. Uh, what, it's what, inappropriate. What if it's flipped the other way? So if that's if beautiful, if if the man's twenty year young, twenty years younger, that's empowering and beautiful, and it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous <laughs> when you know. But if this if this is disgusting, this is disgusting. What you, man? What why did you have to run Jurassic Park for me? <laughs> but what the fuck are they talking about exactly like, now, now i'm going to watch what? that movie and i'm going to look at her stupid face that used to be great and go what the fuck are you talking about you've never what in- are they talking about though mm. do you know what i mean like like it's uh they should have shut this question down they should have said oh i'm not i've nothing to say about that yeah. like like they're two great characters they're archaeologists it's you know what I mean? Like it, 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 their their screen age doesn't read that way. No, and yeah, you know that, what I mean? that was my yeah. thing. She does yeah. not look twenty five in that movie. No, he doesn't look forty five in that movie. And that you could snap the fingers and say, "Sweetheart, I didn't think you looked twenty five. You know what I mean? And she'd go, "Oh, <laughs> but, but like, I mean, it's not like they establish their ages. They just no. they're a couple. They're both, uh, and they 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 look like they're both." Um, career professionals like with long careers so i would actually assume that she would have been in her 30s if you but but if you buy into all of the the gender ideology stuff that 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 they're throwing around like if you can be a man a biological man and identify as a woman and actually be a woman then you know what 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 is what has age got to do like you know what if you identified as a 35 year old or what if you know because people often say oh you've got an old spirit or you're young at heart or something you know i mean mm. like you know you can be an old soul as they say you know well it seems to be identifying in other ages and stuff seems that's where this crowd generally goes oh that stop being silly well there is there is a guy in germany uh, i think he's like a 45 year old man with a beard and he identifies as a six-year-old girl and he wears mm. dresses and okay. yeah but because he's a beautiful trans six-year-old then that's wonderful and should be celebrated it is and uh i celebrate it but but you know, I, I so anyway, I, I should probably move on. I could talk about this all day. I just think it was a it was a truly annoying uh, set of words put together to form sentences. So it, anyway, that ruined Jurassic Park for me worse than the current shitty sequels have. Well, right? no, it, it, but they're all doing it though. So uh, Laura Dern's got form in this area. She's she's all in on on all this stuff. Uh, but so this crap, they're saying this crap about about age gaps um, and. We've got Spielberg talking about Latinx mm. nonsense, you know, with with West Side Story. Like he's all in because he's he's begging you. He's saying he's begging you not to cancel him. He's saying, he's saying, please, just let me keep, just let me keep coming in to to direct these these movies. And everyone's like, hmm, you're gonna say the words? And he says, Latinx, Latinx, Latinx. And then they go, okay, all right, in you go, in you go, and he goes, all right, thanks very much. So anyway, that's that. Uh, secondly, back to the film. Sunny uh, is Asian American, a proud woman of color. If you won't date a person of color, you are definitely racist. But conversely, if you do date them, then you are fetishizing them, which means you're a racist. This is what I like about progressive politics today. Okay, it's positive, constructive, and charming. All right, who wouldn't want to live their life by these rules? Yeah. Mm. So next up, uh, one word, Yuri, titties. Okay, this movie has more titties than Porky's, and it's a cop movie. Uh, and I didn't know that some of the titties were Stephen. Uh, uh, sorry, um, Miss Summers. Uh, 
from Step by Step. Incidental titties as well. The pool party at the drug kingpin's lair uh, and um, the other one with the, with the chick on the bed. What I like about it is they've, they've linked um, chicks getting their titties out with decadence and criminality. So all the bad guys are surrounded by chicks who sort of jump around excitedly and get their tops off. Where, where are these women? That's what I want to know. That's what I've always wanted to know. Who were, do you know the only closest I got, and I've, I've spoken about it on an on a, on a early show. I feel like it's worth talking about again. ACDC concert, there, there was a lot of girls getting, getting them out. Like, yeah. you know, and I feel like it was a different class of woman. <laughs> but <laughs> they weren't quite as good as the ones on Miss Summers. Yeah, no, but but you know, nothing to shirk at. Uh, anyway, uh, I, just I believe of- from years ago, you coined the term "never look a gift titty in the mouth." <laughs> well, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Okay, and you can put that on my headstone if you like. So. Uh, honorable mention to some very dark bush. Just turn up the brightness when Sonny comes into the Harry's bedroom, and Yuri, you will find what you seek. Okay? I was I was going to say in response. Um, you know, I, I did like when she just opened the door and nothing was covering her but her very long hair. Yes, that was <laughs> yes, that was yes. that was great. Very nice, very nice. So next up, I've already sort of mentioned this drug pin uh, kingpin kink. So. One of the Disgusto mobsters called Guzman has engaged, hired or whatever, a couple of hippie types to have sex with, sort of a young blonde couple who do drugs and are seem to be up for whatever. And there's this suggestion that Guzman goes both ways. Uh, so what do, what do we have here? Uh, we have a courageous and brave LGBT man killed in a hate crime by a fascist cop. Why isn't the movie only about this scene? I want to know. I'll tell you why, because the cishet assholes who made this movie don't care about queerness. They will just say that this kingpin is a criminal and got what he deserved. They, they, they'll call it justice. Well, justice would be for everybody in the world to stop what they're doing right now and go and protest this man's death by cop. Unless you guys don't care about queers, do you care about queers, yes or no? I'm actually stuck thinking about Miss Summers getting shot between the tits. <laughs> <laughs> that is a correct answer somehow. Uh, I always remember that scene that it's a it's a it's a detail at the pool that I because it's so it's so nasty. It's like the similar shot in uh, Total Recall. There's a she could get mm. shot in the in the chest in, in Total Recall. It's brutal and horrible. Well because you're enjoying you're enjoying it well, you know, as a cis male, you're enjoying it so much. Yes. And then they ruin it. Yeah, oh, don't do that. No, well, the great thing is when you do a shot like that, you are clearly begging someone to write a PhD about what a misogynist you are. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, you're just begging them. You're saying, anyway, here's the shot you can use. You can talk about it for three, you know, three papers. Uh, next up, well, finally, really for me, uh, and I'll hand it over. Harry Callahan has uh, all, all of the most problematic qualities of tos- toxic masculinity on full display. Stoic, aggressive, competitive, Tall and lean, which they're also bad for some reason, I guess. Uh, what Harry needs is a sassy, non-binary, non-cis woman as a partner. No, no, I changed that. He's he's the partner, and she's the main deal. Yeah, yeah? dirty Harriet. So, dirty Harriet. She's the main deal. In fact, the movie needs to be about her, as we've said. There are too many movies about cishet males, and we need to redress the balance. The best ways of doing this are to humiliate the main character, to have them be a passenger in their own movie or franchise. This is what people want to see, and it's why you shouldn't see Maverick. It's a lot to think of there. 
There's a lot to think about there. So, so wait, wait, Ma- Maverick w- was that actually about Tom Cruise's character? Uh, uh, unfortunately, it was. If you it were didn't expecting start with a scene of Tom Cruise and then followed by an hour and a half of nothing but Jennifer no. Connelly's character. I had my heart was in my throat the whole time. I was, I was. When I go to these movies, I'm frightened. I was terrified. I was like, I was like holding my breath, going, "Oh my god, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen?" I was waiting for the scene where he's humiliated or put in the back seat, or just you know, like James Bond, like that new fucking James Bond, which I've talked about a hundred times, where you just watch it and it's just James Bond getting pegged the whole time and getting in the back seat and getting just hundred percent humiliated and and not not clapping back at all, not clapping back at all. You know, and that look, say what you will about that fourth Die Hard movie, but there's one good bit in it, all right? There's a couple of good bits, but one good bit when Bruce, uh, when John McClane is fighting the um, so, uh, Maggie Q. Oh, that's Maggie Q. And he I'm said, well aware I'm, of Maggie Q's filmography. I'm sure you are. And he, he, said, he beats her up fully uh, when she tries to do all this you know, fancy shit. And he says something after that to one of the other henchmen. Yeah, something about like, yeah, I took care of that ninja bitch or something like that. Just something that's just so (laughs) wicked and straight up and just, yes, yes, thank you. Thank you very much for being, you know why you cheer? You don't cheer because, you you know, you're some sort of misogynist. You cheer because it's authentic. And you say, yeah, well, in that moment, he, he, the veil came down and he said, yeah, Um, she came out with all this garbage and I saw, I, I used my upper body strength and I shut it down. But that, that is also uh, like a, a horrible dark age when feminism used to be about equality, not superiority. So, this is true. Um, you are now cancelled. You can't... You can't <laughs> yes, yes, as Ricky says, you are now cancelled. No, you have I, said I, the I'm, words. I'm just pointing it out. I'm, I'm saying it was wrong. It was before we were enlightened. So, you know, so treating women equally is, is now wrong. Treating everyone on their merits is now wrong so it is. We, we, now we know better we know better you have atoned you have atoned well if there's nothing else to add what are we what, what are we rating this on the on the uh, you know sort of scale of toxic masculinity that is lock in that we in locker room talk uh, I think it's pretty high mm. don't you think it's just this 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 movie just oozes like toxic masculinity don't mm. you think it's very toxic well there is no strong female character well, that's not good. As so, I mean, the, and the, the prostitute has, has a moment of, you know, when she cuts in line, uh, cuts before those, you know, horrible, oppressive white people and gets in the cab before them. And, and then, then flushes she's, the bush, you know, flushed way. with cash and all the rest. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, you know, she's owning it's her masculinity. <laughs> she's calling out the perverted rapist and, you know, driving her in the mm. in the front seat. But then she, she gets murdered straight after that. So, the only... The only one that's close to... And she's a sex worker, and sex work is real work, and that's empowering sex work. And, and positive. Uh, it is, it is, But it then is. she gets murdered, so, you know, what, what's mm. this movie trying to trying to say to, to strong, beautiful women out there? Nothing good, I say. Uh, I, so, I, yeah, I have to say this is, this is incredibly toxic. Must be in the eights or the nines. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do think that's what Magnum Force was actually all about, and, and, and <laughs> like... Um, I think it was Ricky that that said, you know, it's about the phallus. It's not actually about actually <laughs> shooting people. It's about figuratively <laughs> shooting big wads of cum all over people, right? Oh, <laughs> is that what we're saying? 
And it's well, and it's got and, and, and it's obviously non-consensual because it's force, so it's all obviously yeah. rape. Um, so you know, I'm 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 going to give it I'm going to give it seven and a half. Yep. Okay. I'll, I'll yeah, just eight eight for me. Yeah, I'll give it an eight. Well, that's Magnum Force, uh, another successful venture. Now, I thought for the next film, I would keep going what we've been doing in cyber. I'm just going to present you with some quotes. Now, if you do know the quote, keep it to yourself. you just got to duke it out amongst the two of you, okay? Like, I'm not here to tell you what. You pick your, it's a choose-your-own-adventure, all right? So, quote one, destroy the image and you will break the enemy, okay? Destroy the image and you will break the enemy. Uh, number two, well, you know, for me, the action is the juice, okay? Number three, avenge me, okay? So the first one, destroy the image and you will break the enemy. Two, well, you know, for me, the action is the juice. Three, avenge me. That, uh, the, the second one sounds um, interesting to me. Okay, so, well, well, you know, for me, the action is the juice. Well, uh, I... I one in three, I only have a vague idea of what they might be. I definitely know where number two came from. <laughs> I, I, I've tipped the deck. I, I felt my little magnum force <laughs> kind of yes. on, on that one. So, uh, well, very excited what we, to be doing what that. Are we be, what are we beating around the bush for? Uh, we're going to do Michael Mann's Heat uh, uh, for uh, our next film. Uh, could there be any more offensive... Uh, uh, a celebration of of toxic masculinity than than uh, heat. Is there are there even any women in the movie? I mean, is if it, they is are, Ashley they Judd be. in the movie? Is she? They're, yeah, she, she is. She is, but now, she doesn't have her pussy hat on uh, <laughs> like she does. You know, now the, the one from Judging Amy was, was that her? Oh, uh, Amy Brenneman. Yeah, yeah, yes, she's good. There is good. And. Vincent's go- anyway we're getting to the end of the film now so alright that's what we're doing next um, it's been a pleasure gentlemen uh, until next time don't be a pussy don't be a pussy Maybe you're a pussy if you don't like Bridges of Madison County.